And welcome to another edition of Racing Through Time NASCAR podcast covering 1986. Andy Waddell along here with Ricky Wittenberg and I hate that sounded weird. You're you're along with me, but I'm not <laughs> you. Yes, we will just be along with each other. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're social distancing. We are social distancing. The we, we crossed swords a couple of weeks ago and I won't talk about that again. Well, yes. But um, anyway, we are going to cover Watkins Glen and Michigan this week. We're going to do one, and then one wasn't enough, and two probably wasn't enough. But we we tapped out. Yeah, we we don't want we want Bristol to have its own because it's dear to our hearts. Yeah, and um, Andy don't know one of the things heading into this Bristol race. We're going to watch the qualifying show prior to the race that's on YouTube. I was not made aware of this, but okay. Yeah, well, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a very good reason. When we get to Bristol, we'll be watching the qualifying show, uh, which they didn't, honestly, we didn't talk about Bristol, but they didn't cover qualifying back then much. But there's actually qualifying coverage on YouTube. But you got to remember, back then they didn't have 14 racing channels either, so, you know. Not, no. So um, this race here, we are going to cover Watkins Glen and Michigan. We'll start out with Watkins Glen, and right away on the broadcast, I noticed that we've got my favorite IndyCar driver of all time, Rick Mears, alongside Bob Jenkins. You can't go wrong with that duo. I mean, they're all right. Well, the one thing I'll say, Rick Mears was one of my favorite IndyCar drivers, but as an announcer, he's just so soft-spoken. He don't, he won't, I don't know. I mean, but he's trying to announce a NASCAR race, and he's not a NASCAR driver, so it's kind of a weird thing to have rick mears in the nascar booth yeah and maybe if he had a british accent it would make you know make it more natural but. yeah like uh david hobbs or jackie yeah. stewart in there no rick mears is a good old american boy uh we learned that bill elliott uh had had a qualifying crash in uh on friday as he was coming to take the green flag and he destroyed his car yeah but he wasn't he hadn't even took the qualifying lap yet he was coming no. up to get the qualifying lap yeah, we got to remember this is Watkins Glen and one of its older configurations before they put the bus stop in in 19, after the 1991 race when J.D. McDuffie got killed. So you could pull some speed coming down that back stretch. Definitely. All right, so the clouds are dark and it looks like it might rain. And much actually, like here. <laughs> yeah, much like here. We, if, if you hear a zap during this broadcast, it's because we've been struck by lightning. So this could be the last uh, broadcast we ever do. But what a way to go. What a way to, no, actually, no. <laughs> I would rather go out a different way, but whatever. Um, this is the first time NASCAR has been to Watkins Glen since 1965. Yes, I was shocked by that. That I, I always thought they always raced there because they always have since I can remember. But Yeah, well, they had this weird period of time in the early, well, I guess, all the way through where they, they didn't race at Watkins Glen in the 70s. But they had the Formula One races until like 80 or 81. And then the track got sold to somebody else. And they finally got uh, NASCAR back in 1986. But it took a while. I read a couple of articles um, leading into this race of Cal Yarborough. He was in the 1965 race. And he was like, we were more in the grass than we was on the track. Well, that's what you do on a road course. You go through the dirt. Yeah, they they had they had learned a, a little bit here by 1986. There wasn't a whole lot of off roading at uh, Watkins Glen uh, for some people, at least. <laughs> not intentionally. Anyway. At least not intentionally. We we find out that Buddy Baker is actually not going to be driving his Crisco car. He has tapped 
a uh, road course ringer, and we will listen to Buddy right now. Buckle the seatbelts and be ready to go. But Buddy Baker is not behind the wheel of the car. We'll hear more about that later. You're the crew chief today, Buddy. Your feelings? Well, Jackie, I just wish uh, Al all the luck in the world and Chris Cossar. He's an uh, extremely nice fellow to work with, and we put a man in the car that we feel can win the race, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, but now, Buddy, you're a pretty intense individual. This guy really takes his racing to heart. How intense are you going to be as a crew chief? Do you think you'll be as bad as you are a driver as far as the intensity or a little better? Well, let me say this. We've done everything we can to prepare a car and make it very comfortable for and you know what kind of race driver he is. He's the best on a road course. So if we've got the car for him to win the race, I feel like Chris Cogar will be right up front. Well, we'll get to see a lot of his activity because he's the in-car camera. Let's go back up to Bob and Rick. Did you catch that? He no. Said, he said, I think, he said, would, will you be as bad as you are in the race car? But he... But then he quickly covered it by saying, I was like, whoa, that, that, more straight daggers from the pit reporters. Are you going to suck as much as a crew chief as you do as a driver, Buddy Baker? Or, or are you going to actually know what you're doing? Maybe if you ain't in, have the steering wheel in your hand. Now, now, we know what he meant. He got his words tripped up and he kind of still said it right. But you don't say, are you as bad like, uh, you know, as antsy? You just say, are you as anxious or are you as um, hopper on the pit ball? You, you don't start a sentence with, are you as bad <laughs> as a crew chief oh, as you are a driver? Leave it to Jack the Root. Jack a Root. Uh, grid. Tim Richmond on the pole. Daryl Waltrip starts second. Harry Gant. Rusty Wallace. Neil Bonnet. Al Unser Sr. Ricky Rudd. Jeff Bodine. Richard Petty. And Dill. Dill. Dill Earnhardt. <laughs> the younger brother of Dale. <laughs> Yeah, look at that. I mean, the, the starting grid right there, all Hall of Famers in one way or another. Oh, yeah. Al Unser Sr. is one of the best this, in-car this drivers of all time. Yeah, this is a heck of a uh, start, for top 10, top 12. Willie T. Ribs qualifies for this race, Andy, but he blew four engines. Well, this I know I mentioned this movie before, but seriously, if you get a chance, go to Netflix and watch the movie Uppity. It's a Willie T. Ribs story. He's the one that takes you through it. And this is when he starts losing faith in the car owners in NASCAR because, as he mentions, you know, what's the chances you're going to blow four engines in one weekend? It just don't happen. No, I mean, four engines, and sometimes you could say it's because the guy missed a shift or he didn't know what he was doing, but Willie T. Ribs was an accomplished road course racer. Yeah, th this was his bread and butter right yeah. here. I mean, this, he was a road course ringer. <laughs> yeah, he, he knew that this was his one chance to show him what he could do. And he didn't even get to start the race. God. Um, so we get the green flag. Darrell Waltrip got the jump on the outside. He leads through turn one. But Tim Richmond holds on the inside, gets back by him through two. And then they went three wide down the back stretch out of the S's. And Rusty Wallace tried to get the lead, but he did get up to second behind uh, behind Waltrip. And something's going on with Richmond here early. He falls back to sixth after he runs off course. I think that whole Rusty Wallace situation threw him for a loop. Yeah, because when everybody's going into the turn at the same time and you got it three wide, probably, what, three or four rows deep? It was crazy. Yeah, the start of this race was insane. And all these cars smoking the rear tires. I mean, we're going to talk about this race. It may not have been as action-packed as some. And now road course races are some of my favorite races. The overall racing may not have 
been spectacular in this one, but to watch them come through the S's when they would show them shots, they were literally sideways through the S's. It was almost like they was drifting. This race reminds me of the old saying about a turd sandwich. The first of it was really, really intense, and the last of it's good, but in the middle, you got a lot of filler. There is a, there is a lot of filler in this race. Um, the 27 is definitely dirt tracking it through the S's. He's smoking the tires all over the place. He's trying to get by Waltrip. He's hanging right on his bumper. Then uh, we have the 63 car of Jocko Majocomo. What a name. I love that name. Jocko Majocomo. Oh, I thought they said Jocko Jocko Moco or something. I no, Jocko Majocomo uh. has blown his engine. And the yellow flag is out. And it's raining a bit on the track. And we get an interview with uh, the, ro- with the uh, road course ringer, Al Unser Sr., you just have to change your way of thinking. Uh, it doesn't. You still drive an Indy car by the seat of your pants. I don't care what anybody says. You know they, they say the downforce takes over, but it doesn't. If it did, why do so many guys wreck with them? You know. So it doesn't always work that way. But the stock cars are more of a. Uh, uh, seat of your pants feel because they don't have the, the grip. Did you understand what he was saying there? That. He, I don't know if he was trying to say NASCAR's cars was harder to drive or what, because he said both IndyCar and NASCAR are seat of your pants, but then then I think he tried to throw the compliment to NASCAR that it might be a little harder to drive a cup car. He was probably trying to talk to people like me who still think of them as overgrown go, go-karts. Sorry. Yeah, he just, he didn't want, he, he had the side eye looking out at Billy Bob standing on behind pit wall, yeah. just pounding his fist, just <laughs> yes. bang, bang. Yeah. He's like, come on, boy, you better not say nothing bad about this Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> number 11 car. If you hurt our feelings, we'll go get that there Bobby Ray Hall and we'll put him in yeah. that car. We, we, why didn't you bring Bobby Ray Hall down here? That would have been the boy to put in the car. He won the Indy 500. <laughs> oh Lord! Actually, Bobby Rahal, they d- he was so, there. Yeah, he no, left. he well, yeah, he was there and he left. For the Iraq race. Yeah, he was there for the Iraq race, and they said that um, they wanted him to be in standby for uh, Neil Bonnet, but I'm sure Bobby Rahal knew Neil Bonnet's personality and was like, if the man climbs in the car, <laughs> he ain't getting out, so I'm not standing here all damn day. Yeah, we ain't got enough shotguns to get him out the car once you get him in. So. Yeah, so they had, uh, was it Doug, was it Doug Heveron that yeah. on standby? But yeah, um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We go to Jack Root, who talks about uh, Bill Elliott's car. So right away, we are now with Dan Elliott. Dan Elliott, one of the Elliott brothers, and Dan, you guys had to do a lot of heavy-duty reworking after you got here to Watkins Glen and the problem with Bill's car. Now that the race has only run actually three laps under green, has he reported as to whether the car's working to his satisfaction or not? No, I haven't got a chance to get out of the traffic enough to tell how the car is, but according to what laps we ran yesterday, it's still not what it was the first day that we got here. How tough is it on a crew when you come out here, you think you've got your best stuff ready to roll off the truck, and then even before you qualify, you just roll it up in a ball and have to try and straighten it back out and get into the field? Well, we just had to do the best we can with what we had because we really didn't have, we had a spare car in the truck, but we it wasn't the kind of car we needed to run here. So we did the best we could with what we had left, and we're going to give it our best shot today, and I hope it's good enough. When you talk about that spare car, if you go take a look at it, it looks like it's because there's an awful lot of parts and pieces missing off that car that he says wouldn't work here. Bill Elliott has moved up three positions here in the opening laps. He was uh, 22nd at the start and now 19th. 
the field is beginning to uh, come off of corner number seven, headed for the resumption of the race. Green flag is displayed, and we are back to racing. So, so basically, Bill Elliott's brother there was saying that um, they don't know what they got because they've only ran three laps, Jack. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just going to go out there and drive. That's the way the most of them probably did back in. Yeah, but I, honestly, in Jackaroo, you know, how does it feel? It's almost one of those questions where he didn't ask the the real question. How does it feel to prepare a car and your brother goes out and crashes before they even take the green flag and qualifying? <laughs> Yeah, it's, I know how brothers are. It's a wonder one of them didn't show up with a black eye the next day. Come on. Yeah, it's like you gave us a whole lot of headache fixing this car when you couldn't even make a qualifying lap. But uh, so we got that. We are, as you hear Bob Jenkins say, that we're back to green flag. Uh, Rusty Wallace still right on Daryl Waltrip's bumper. We get uh, We get all the way up to lap 10, and those two are about a second and a half ahead of Ricky Red, Neil Bonnet, and Tim Richmond. Wallace makes an outside move trying to get by the 11, but he couldn't make it stick. And I put, I made a note here to please turn up Rick Mears's mic because you, the poor guy, he's just so soft spoken. You can't hear him. Yeah, because see, it sounds like the he's, BBS he's, ladies. You know what? He would be a perfect, he'd be a perfect golf announcer. <laughs> yes, he got into turn one and wrecked. Back to you. <laughs> uh, the Helen Ray special is now into the pits. Oh. And um, then he, he gets the Helen Ray special back on track. Mears comments that Marcus was playing with his net during the pit stop. <laughs> Try doing that, going 150 <laughs> miles an hour on the road well, course. I would do good to hang on to the steering wheel, let alone try and get the net fixed. Oh, God. Helen Ray special, uh, definitely. Harry Gant to the pits from the top 10. He can't buy a break. Hood goes up. Just awful luck for well, Harry Gant. That was the thing I noticed they kept bringing up. A lot of these people, I guess they weren't, they're used to Riverside and ha didn't think about Watkins Glen. They had overfilled their crankcases with oil and it was actually shooting out the, and coming through the intake and burning it. And that might have been what blew up, helped blow up his motor. Yeah, it could have been. Like you said right there, Travis Carter said that they had too much oil in the motor. And so early in the race, We've had somebody that's been playing with their net and another one with an overfilled crankcase in the first 10 laps. The Cody, the Kodak car of Rick Wilson has spun, but he keeps on going or flashing as it would be since he's the Kodak car. <laughs> Everybody else doing some, uh, some of their own dirty deeds out there. Rusty Wallace finally gets by Waltrip for the lead, and Richmond has ran them down from about two and a half seconds back in a lap. Yes, he had wings on that sucker. Yeah, I said two and a half seconds in one lap, and he caught them. Now the four car to the pits with the hood up. We have uh, Tim Richmond. He blows by Waltrip heading into turn one for second, and then we get word from NASCAR that Rusty Wallace may be black flag due to the smoking and they think that he's leaking oil and it's not all tire smoke so possibly the same situation as Harry Gant. Yeah well when he well we'll talk about it here in just a second but when he goes into the pits they mention them having to work on it to drain some of the oil and the motor still 200 and some degrees and this is before they have the mechanics gloves so they either had to go in there barehanded or leather gloves and neither one of those options are good trust me. <laughs> Not at that temperature. Um, 
so Wallace, God, when the, this is about the time of the race, he's trying to hold Richmond off. He was sideways, literally sideways <laughs> through the S's. Yeah, he was drifting. And, uh, they, uh, well, Fast and Furious didn't have a prayer on this guy. So Wallace does come to the pits. Uh, NASCAR hadn't black flagged him, but they come on in to check it out because he started smoking worse. Um, he's being fueled. They go under the hood. Jack Root says that he looks resolute, and he's standing there in the car unaffected. I'm like, well, that's a hell of a trick yeah. <laughs> to be standing in the car. I, well, I, you know, maybe Kel Yarborough, I could have believed it, but not, you know, Rusty Wallace is a pretty big guy. You know, he ain't going to stand in there. Yeah, and uh, the, but the, it's funny because right after he says that he's resolute and he's just wait, you know, patiently waiting, then he says now he's quite upset. <laughs> he yeah, went, it went he, instantly. He went from resolute to very pissed oh. in just a couple of seconds. And you could tell it too because you can actually hear him over the broadcast. Well, you can see the car shaking. I think yes. he's like sitting in the car shaking it like, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, your people are under the hood. Quit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to kill somebody. So he does. They do get him back out on track. He's probably about eight seconds ahead of uh, Tim Richmond. Harry Gant's car off the course and in the grass, and that's the end of poor Harry. And uh, we we get a clip now of our favorite, Harry Hyde, talking about Tim Richmond's early issues. Well, we have got a problem with a fuel pressure gauge. It's reading zero in one place on the racetrack, and uh, Tim was afraid he was going to run out of fuel. But we should be able to stay out there about 10 more laps. Now, add to that the problem you've got with the misfire at 6,000 RPM. Do you find it a little incredible that you're leading this thing? Well, we, uh, sw we had him to switch ignitions. We got a backup system, and he switched it over, and that cured that problem. So they get rid of one problem, and another one starts. Just those kind of days for Harry Hyde and crew. Yeah, so the ignition system uh, going out, but he switched over, and everything's going good. Yeah. Except the fuel pressure thing. Yeah, but that makes sense. I mean, you got to figure. I don't know where the pick whether the pickup was the same with the pressure or not. But they're used to going around, you know, making left hand turns, and now all of a sudden this track is the back and forth. Yeah, majority of them's right hand turns. You're throwing the gas the other way. Right. So Jeff Bodine uh, goes to the lead, and the crowd goes absolutely crazy. Yeah, Yankees. But. Uh, yeah. Bodine, as you know, from Shemung, New York. Yeah, Shemung. Joe Rutman is now slow, and God, another guy with just bad luck. He had moved up to 13th from 21st, but uh, now limping around the track. And you can watch him all year long. He's had the ability to race the car. He just, no luck at all. No, and the car just, it wasn't there. I mean, we'll find out next week at Michigan when we go to the, the Michigan clips. It's just, he just can't buy a break. I mean, Rutman was not a bad driver. Rutman, may have, if he just had the right equipment, he could have been a driver that would have been like a more, I mean, he was on that same tier as Morgan Shepard. Yeah. He's and he mid, could have won some yeah. races. He was a mid-card racer. He, you know, he could have won some races, done some good things. I don't think he ever would have had a chance at a championship. No, but, he could have ran in the top yeah. 10, though, and easy, won some races. Easy. Yeah. Uh, and then Bob Jenkins says that Rutman will not be back in the 26 in 1987, and Morgan Shepard is the rumored <laughs> new driver. So talking about that, he, it does remind you of Morgan Shepard, the way they, you know, just their racing ability. Uh, Al Unser Sr. has spun out, and the yellow flag comes out. <laughs> yeah, more on that later. <laughs> 
Yeah, but yeah, Bodine in the pits under yellow before he hits the line to take the yellow flag. I don't know where the pace car is. The saga of the weird pit stops continue. And it only gets worse as we move on. Oh, God. Rusty Wallace in with a flat tire here under yellow. And on the end car, Al Unser Sr. looks like he just kind of overcooked it getting into the corner and he had some tire shake. Hmm. That sounds like something you'd have up north. Yeah, then we get Jack Root with Buddy Baker, who said he didn't even know that Al Senior had spun out. Well, this is something we forget. They didn't have, you oh, know, yeah. all this stuff, all the monitors and all this. I mean, you got, I don't know if we see this later on in the clips, but you've got Bodine's crew chief going up in the stands in the infield yeah. so he can get radio signal to his driver. Yeah. You know, that's how we're in a whole different era. Yeah, I mean, we don't have GPS, so they they can't see that the car stopped on the track and people's moving by him. Yeah. I'm sure he probably just thought he may have ran off course or got bumped. He spins out, and Buddy Baker's like, oh, I didn't even know he wrecked. Well, yeah, he's just doing the times, and he's like, well, wait a minute. He's about five seconds slow on that lap. wonder what happened. Yeah. Uh, Jack Root, uh, so anyway, yeah, that was that. Now the track workers are at the guardrail making some sort of a repair 28 laps into the race back to green we've got daryl waltrip uh we got richmond and bodine the top three and uh but the five the 25 jumps out by the 11 and grabs the lead and then we have bodine by waltrip also pretty quick bonnet and rudd complete the top five richard petty's Richard Petty, another race in 1986, <laughs> running real good up there in sixth. Yeah, I think people forget this. They they remember the 200th win, and like we was talking about earlier, you know. He didn't just fall off a yeah, cliff. He he's just, still running top ten in about every race, at least some part of it. Most of the time. The uh, the five-car Bodine is really pushing Richmond hard, and Waltrip's staying right with him. And then Bodine tries to get by uh, Richmond coming out of turn seven, but don't make it. But then he does make it going into turn one and gets the lead. Bodine had a really, really good car. He was, from the way it looked, I don't know if Walter was holding back, but Bodine was the only one that had something for Richmond on this track. Well, Rusty Wallace could have without some of the problems. Yeah, we're, well, he got we'll get he into got that. behind and then he had the flat tire and then a lot of other stuff. But early in the race, Wallace had a, that was the only three. Wallace, Bodine, Richmond. Yeah, when he started smoking, it just knocked the dominoes down for his day. So now we've got Richmond, Waltrip, Neil Bonnet, and um, the uh, Ricky Redcar all right together. Uh, Terry Labonte, another heartbreaking race in 1986. He's behind the wall. Bob Jenkins says that Labonte will be replacing Waltrip at Junior Johnson in 1987. So... I mean, we knew that happened, but that that was kind of that was all over the place with who was going to drive the car in nineteen eighty seven. But uh, we we do find out that it is falling into place, and it will be Terry Labonte. Yeah, the list of drivers that was going to maybe talking to him about it was a long, long list. Yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised that they didn't have Mario Andretti on that list at some point. Wasn't that the one that made the video game? Yeah. Yeah, Mario Andretti race that had the dirt tracks. What, what and, did his Luigi, Luigi, was that his brother? Um, No, his brother's name was, uh, oh, God. Uh, well, I was Andretti. just proud of a couple of plumbers saving the world. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, not wrong Mario, uh, although not quite as famous. We have Benny Parsons by Dell Earnhardt uh, moving up to seventh. Benny Parsons running good here at Watkins Glen. Al Unser Sr., 
in ninth and uh, Bill Elliott in 10th. Then Jack Aroot talks to Terry Labonte, who says it was really tough to pass. Then Aroot <laughs> says, well, it was tough to pass for Terry Labonte, but there's lots of passing up front. Yes, if you yeah, if you're a good driver, you can get up front and pass a lot of people. I, sw- I swear to God, I don't know how some of these guys <laughs> still had teeth by the time. No. They, I, and I know he didn't mean nothing by it. I mean, we're just making fun of it. But, but you, you still can see the drivers yeah, look like, like what, what did you just say? Yeah, when uh, was the last time you got in a car there, yeah, Mr. When Roof? did you make a pass? Yeah. <laughs> 43 laps down, we're almost to halfway. Uh, we've got Jeff Bodine ahead of uh, Richmond who's a couple of seconds ahead of Walt Waltrip. Uh, we have Neil Bonnet a cu- about a second behind Waltrip. Ricky Rudd and uh, Richard Petty are about a second behind of Neil Bonnet. So they're really spread out. I mean, Bodine's four seconds ahead of Richmond. And then it's like a two seconds, a second, a second, a second. So they're, none of them are really right together. Well, and I wonder a lot of, if a lot of that wasn't there's just testing the track out or just waiting to make their move or maybe that's all they had. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, your first race at this track, I'd say there is a lot of unknown. So there's no setup to go by. You, exactly. you can't miss the set. Like it's hard to hit a setup when you've never set up for that track. Uh, we've got Gary Nelson here. This in the stands crew chief and for Bodine. He says that he can see better and the radios were not working well under the concrete in the pit area. So Gary Nelson is literally in the grandstand. Yes, and think about this. Bo Dines' crew and his team, I got to give them credit, they were always a little bit ahead of everybody else. They had the power steering. The crew chief, he's up where he can see everything. Now everybody, the, the crew chief's up on the box or something where you can see. They got spotters up in, you know, sniper nest or whatever and... It's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, Gary Nelson literally in the grandstands, crew chief. And, and the bad part was he was sitting in the Ford, Ford grandstand. Ford grandstands. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, so we've got Rusty Wallace spinning out, and we have a caution flag finally. Pit stops taking place, and it's going to jumble the field up again. Bobby Allison, <laughs> I don't know what was going on with him. Um, I don't know if he took a nap or what, but... Well, we're going to let him try to explain it right now. He hit the tire wall. You saved it. What happened? Uh, deep down into turn one and uh, going slow, I had it in uh, too tall of a gear and the brakes wouldn't stop the car. And I had to go off the track and uh, go for a big wide coast to uh, keep from trying to mess something up. Didn't hurt anything. Bobby, is the track uh, slick from all of the uh, oil and stuff that's been laid down this afternoon? Yeah, the track is a little bit slick, but uh, the time seemed to be staying fairly good uh, about what we thought race speeds would be. Well, Bobby, uh, the last time we checked before these pit stops, you were running in eighth position. Is the car okay, and uh, do you have a shot of winning this thing? Bobby Allison and uh, a synopsis of how his race is going. You could say that. Bobby Allison was more like, well, I thought about walling and it just ending it all right there because of the 
my car wasn't running good, but I thought, well, I'll just stay out here a little longer. Kind of makes you wonder how many of them really do th- have that thought go through their head. Just, just drop the clutch and blow it, or yeah, I hit know. the yeah, yeah. Look, I can't win the day. This is gonna suck. I'm just gonna crash. Yeah, especially if you're not racing for the championship. You know, why do I want to be out here? I'm three laps down. Boom. I mean, but Bobby Allison is actually still in the top ten. His car just wasn't what he wanted it to be. Uh, commercial break, uh, and then we get back, and they're talking about whether or not that they can make it on gas to the end. So it's looking like a gas mileage race right here. Uh, Jeff Bodine, the leader, but he was the third car in line with a couple on the tail end of the lead lap in front of him. Phil Parsons is still in front of the, of the five on the restart. Then we have Neil Bonnet, um, also Richmond, Waltrip, and uh, Ricky Rudd. And there's some sprinkles on the track. Rick Mears says the drivers might be hustling it just a little more because of that. And, you know, that's something we, we're going to run into a lot, and especially these next two races, is the people, they weren't a lap down, so they put them in front of the leader, but they wouldn't let them come back to catch up the lead because they pitted with the pace car. And I'm still confused about the pace car and the pitting and where who gets lined up with what. It's craziness. I don't know if we'll ever get the real answer to that, <laughs> at least not in these um, 80s races until it... If uh, anybody has a copy of the rule book, if you could post it online, please. I don't know if that would help, because even the announcers don't know. <laughs> well, that's true. We have Richmond gets by Neil Bonnet for second, and then he goes up to uh, Bodine through the S's. We get Bodine getting boxed in behind a lap car that had just came back out on the track. And Richmond tried to make a pretty bold move there, but he couldn't make it stick. Al Inser Sr. having gearbox issues. He's lost second and third gears. And uh, they're in the pits. They thought he was about to lose fourth gear, and they just just cut it off. He was running seventh or eighth, I think, when this happened. Yeah, he had a real good run going on. but Yeah, for somebody that don't. I mean, he's raced NASCAR maybe a couple of times in his life. Before this, I mean, he did race IROC, but still, Allenser Sr. was a good race car driver. People forget about that. Yeah, there's certain people you can just put them in a car, and it don't matter what series it is, they're going to be able to do good. We hear we hear the tire squeal on the broadcast <laughs> yeah. before you see what happens. And Jeff Bodine has spun off the track heading into turn one. We don't know what happened. I guess he just drove in too hard. Yeah, because he goes out of camera range, and then you hear the squeal, and they try to swing in time, but all you see is he's done in the grass. Yeah, he's already gone. Uh, Richard Petty is in fifth, but he's smoking, so they're monitoring that. And then it's he keeps smoking worse and worse. They're saying he may be black flagged. We have Dale Earnhardt gets by him. Wallace is to his bumper, and then they call Petty in, but they couldn't find any oil on the ground. From the smoke, uh, he gets some gas and just heads back out. Yeah, that's another one of them. Who knows? Yeah, we we don't know. There was no oil leaking that they could see, but he was definitely smoking. Bobby Hill and Jr. spins, and Petty gets into him slightly. The caution is out, so now everybody should be able to uh, pit without worrying about gas mileage. Out of the pits, we've got Waltrip and Bonnet both beating Tim Richmond out. Yeah, uh, Junior Johnson, if nothing else, his crews were fast. They were definitely the fastest in NASCAR at that time. Uh, Bill Elliott stays out, so he's going to be the leader on the restart, and he is the only one really gambling on on pit fuel strategy. Uh, Back from the commercial, yellow flag's still out, and we finally get back to green. It took forever. And um, out of turn one, we have 
uh, Richmond get by Neil Bonnet immediately for third, and then Earnhardt tried to get by Bonnet, and they almost crashed. It, it was a little bit wiggly. It was wiggly. Waltrip gets by Elliott, and then uh, the 25 peeks out by the nine heading into turn one, and he gets him. So the next lap, it don't take long. Richmond drives by Waltrip for the lead, and I, I put in the notes, that's probably game over because I couldn't remember what happened. Uh, 11 laps to go. We've got Bonnet. Uh, no, we've got Richmond, Waltrip, Bill Elliott, Bonnet, and Earnhardt, the top five. Commercial break on lap 80, and we're back with um, Richmond and Waltrip. They're still pretty close together. He's not ran completely away from him. We've got Bill Elliott about a second and a half back, and then Bonnet, uh, Earnhardt, and Rusty Wallace. They're running pretty hard all right together. And, uh, yeah, they are, they are racing. They, those three were racing hard there toward the end of the race. Yeah, you'd have thought they were racing for the lead the way they were going at each other. And as stubborn as all three of them was, you know, neither, <laughs> none of them was going to back no. off. <laughs> so Michael Waltrip spins out, and then Kyle Petty spins out. He, they don't hit anything. We get Earnhardt by Bonnet, and then Michael Waltrip spins out again. And then Bobby Allison spins. It's like we've not had hardly anybody wrecking. And then at the end of the race, somebody rang a bell and said, crash. Yes. Everybody, we're going to spin class. Woo. Back out front, um, we've got uh, Richmond still about a half second ahead of Waltrip. Four laps to go. And uh, the 25 starting to stretch it out a little bit. But he's caught some lap cars. So you thought that might make it a little interesting, but it doesn't. Yes, let that sink in. On a road course, he has caught lap cars in, what, about 10 laps? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean you should have known. I mean, these are the lap cars that are not going to hold you up. <laughs> yeah, he, he, but he was flying. He today. was moving. Two laps to go. We got Earnhardt by Elliott and then off the track, and he almost wrecks. So the first pass in the grass on Bill Elliott <laughs> was actually here at the Watkins Glen. Yes, he it was a predecessor. And this actually was a pass in the grass, not an, a hold my yeah, position yeah, in a, the grass. A hold in the grass. Uh, so uh, we'll let uh, we'll let Bob bring it home here on the white flag lap. Is out the last lap. The Budweiser at the Glen. Here they come down the straightaway. It's a 1.15 second advantage for Tim Richmond. If Daryl Waltrip is going to make the move, he's going to have to do it soon. He goes to the inside and passes George Fulmer, a slower car. Look at Earnhardt get sideways coming off of corner number one, but he keeps that third spot. These guys are working here. They are working good. Tim Richmond is pulling away, it appears, on Daryl Waltrip. Tim Richmond will be winning his fourth race of 1986, and that will be the most wins that any driver has. Coming in, Dale Earnhardt had three wins, Tim Richmond had three wins, Jeff Bodine had two, but Tim will be all alone now in the win column should he put together this victory here this afternoon, and he has about a half a lap to go. Down the backstretch for the final time. It's still about a one-second lead for Tim Richmond, but he's looking very, very strong. He's in corner number seven. Tim Richmond is about to win the Budweiser at the Glen. He raises his hand, comes off the seventh corner, gets a little bit sideways. The back tire's off the course, but it doesn't make any difference. Tim Richmond has won the Budweiser at the Glen. 
Finishing second was Darrell Waltrip. And third place went to Dale Earnhardt, fourth to Bill Elliott, and unofficially in fifth place was Neil Bonnet. In an and Tim Richmond takes home the win. The biggest takeaway on the white flag lap is, hell, he passed George Foreman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wonder if he got a grill for that. Uh, that was pre-George Foreman grill. Oh. He, he may have got... Uh, George Foreman was probably retired in 1986. It was like six years before he wins the the, the boxing championship again, or eight years or whatever. Yeah, and then he had like 14 different Georges that he spawned. So. Uh, uh, him and Tim had something in common. Yes. Uh, so, Andy, thoughts on this race? Uh, his first race back at Watkins Glen, it was... Um, not Riverside, but man, Riverside was awesome. Yeah, like I said, this one started out good, and the end, well, not the very end, but right before the very end was pretty good when they was all bunched up again, but after that, they had too much room to get strung out, especially with the way the, I guess you'd call it the back stretch was. There was so much speed there, and then the turns, it is all right, but it wasn't the best of the year. No, no, definitely not. Um we will go now to Victory Lane with Tim Richmond. Well, who says, who says road racing's a bore? Congratulations, Tim Richmond. That was one whale of a run. I tell you what, uh, there was a lot of tough guys out there. We, uh, we held back a little bit there for a while to just make sure we had the brakes to be able to race them at the end. And uh, the car worked great. I mean, Harry Hyde and Hope Folger's uh, crew, they, you know, they, they're making me look real, real good. And they're making it a lot easier on me to, you know, to win races and, um, you know, I, I can't take uh, much credit because they're the ones that uh, put, put this equipment under me. And Rick Hendry. And I want to say hi to Rick's mom down in Charlotte. She was sick. And uh, my sister in Ohio in Ashland. Uh, the whales rib down in uh, Deerfield. But they're going crazy now. Anyway. Hey, listen. Four wins. Now you're the guy that's leading. You've got four. Earnhardt had three. You've moved into the leadership role. What about the Winston Cup points chase? You said all along that we're going to be in it by the end of the year. This has got to make it one more mark, even though you gained just a few spots over Waltrip and the rest of and Earnhardt and the rest of them. Well, you know, they uh, some drivers seem to think that the media and the, the paper and the, hey Harry, hey, <laughs> well there you go. Now there's a guy, Harry Hyde, that is absolutely proud. Harry, you know, at the beginning of the year, you said that Tim Richmond was really going to be the cat to be dealt with. Now, how do you feel about it? Well, I think he's great. I think he's great. I couldn't say enough for him. You know, he just run a beautiful race all day. Kept his cool, run smooth, and, you know, it just proves he's a champion. He's a champion all the way. Well, I'll tell you, we've got Rick Hendrick here also, and this is a guy that we normally don't get to see in victory lane. Rick, a two-car operation. You've won with both of them, but this is the cat that's really getting the job done. And look what we did. We brought the old man out of retirement. How about that for an old guy? Tim, drove a heck of a race, and we couldn't be any happier, and... I'm just so proud of Harry and Tim this year, and I don't know how many he's going to win. He said he was going to win eight. I think you can you win eight. You oh, I, pr I promise you I'd win six, so i got two more to go. What do you think about that, Richmond? Well, uh, I'd, I'd take it, but uh, <laughs> also the guys back in the engine shop, Mark Graves and everybody, I, you know, this thing ran like a top all day, and and uh, I just, I'm just glad to be here. But what you were talking about before about this championship thing, a lot of drivers think that talking in, on this thing and in the newspaper and stuff, <laughs> has something to do with on the track but this thing right down here is going to do you know if it can talk it will and and if it can beat him it will and if it can't then i like third too well richmond says put your foot where your mouth is gentlemen <laughs> he did not 
no. point to his foot. <laughs> Beans and Franks. Beans and Franks. I mean, that's one of those things where Jack Root is mortified and like, ah, um, his foot. Now, I, okay, so maybe Richmond did point to his foot, but Richmond, no. well, he might have. Because he knew he was on TV, but anybody that knew if it could talk, it would. If, <laughs> now, come on. We all know Tim Richmond. That was a shock. Come, you know, I mean, I think he did it without thinking to start with and then was like, okay, everybody there was like, we got to cover. Yeah, but then they do it. Do, do you? Did you catch the part where they do it at Michigan, though? Oh, I must have missed that. Okay, well, we'll we'll, we we'll really leave it. I'm sure. Okay, so but anyway, yeah, Tim Richmond, um, he made a point at <laughs> saying that, uh, that a lot of drivers talk in front of the camera and uh, on the newspaper, but they uh, they don't use whatever he pointed at to the actually get the testicular fortitude is yeah. what we're going with. We're, we're, we're saying he was pointing at the uh, at the at Big Jim and the Twins. Yes, yes. So. Uh, yeah, that was the best part of the whole race. <laughs> the victory lane interview. Um, rundown. Tim Richmond wins. Daryl Waltrip second. Earnhardt third. Bill Elliott. Neil Bond at the top five. Rusty Wallace. Ricky Rudd. Benny Parsons. Kyle Petty. And the King. Richard in 10th. 11 lead change. 11 lead changes. I mean, there's a lot of lead changes for a road course. Among five drivers, Bodine led the most laps at 32 1.45 second margin of victory. Nine cars retire. 13 cars finish on the lead lap. I wonder how many of those lead changes was like during cautions, though. And oh, some of them stops. had to be. I, I mean, mean, I remember. Okay, let's just try to remember. At the start of the race, Richmond led the. No. Waltrip led the first lap, right? Because Richmond got ran off the road by Wallace. Yeah. Then Wallace got the lead, so he passed Waltrip. Then Wallace had to pit out of the lead, but so that would Bodine got the lead for a while. I know Bodine passed Richmond at one point for the lead. That was on the track. And then and then, Wal- Wal- then yeah. Richmond passed Bodine when he spins out. I yeah. don't know. I mean there really wasn't a lot of actual hardcore passes for the lead. No. It was mostly pit stops and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so uh with that we are going to move on We've got the 1986 Champion Spark Plug 400 from Michigan. And we've got Jerry Punch and Jack Aroot in the booth. And Andy, Jerry Punch kind of looks like a 1986 version of Herbert from The Family Guy. Oh, I wish I had some more race car drivers. <laughs> uh, ESPN, seriously though, guys, can't you get them an extra mic? Why do we have to share the mic? Yeah, I mean they're they're they both they're both right on top. They did, they there was no social damn distancing. <laughs> no, in nineteen eighty six, Corona would have wiped out half of the NASCAR nation in nineteen eighty six, and they wouldn't have cried about it. We'd have just kept racing. Yes. Uh, clip number one, right off the bat, we got an interview with the pole sitter, Benny Parsons. Well, Benny Parsons has changed from his ESPN announcer's uniform to a driver's uniform, and he's put his car on the pole here at Michigan. But you got some pretty tough competition beside you and behind you, Benny. I tell you what, this guy beside on me has been incredible for, for the past couple of months, Dick. So I don't know what, we're just going to try our, our best and hope that we can keep up with the Tim Richmond car. He's been tough. What are you going to do in your race? 
today. What are you going to do to see that you're still number one when this thing is over? Hey, I'm going to run as far as I can all day and hope that, that the car is good, the crew makes some great stops, and, uh, you know, that some of the other cars will slow down a little bit. You know, Richmond and Bodine, they've been a ter on the tear for the last couple of months, and it's not going to be any different. They're going to be tough again today. But, you know, I also have Darrell Walter. He's going to be running. Well, hey, look, just go back the line. Bill Elliott, he's won how many in a row here? We can't count him out. It's going to be a good one for sure. Jack? Uh, Benny Parsons on the pole again, and uh, you know he says, "Don't count out Bill Elliott." And I got he—he he knew what he was talking about there. That the crystal ball was in full effect. Benny Parsons on the pole. Richmond was second. Uh, Bill Elliott third. Darrell Walter, Perry Gant top five. Jeff Bodine, Rusty Wallace, Bobby Allison, uh, the '66 car, uh, Phil Parsons, and Buddy Baker round out the top ten. On the start, we've got Richmond getting a great start, and poor Parsons falls back to sixth. Except you wouldn't know that because Jack Aru thought ben, thought Benny led the first lap. <laughs> yeah, see, he was a little bit confused. He, he was a little bit confused. Um, big draft early on. This kind of like the first race at Michigan. I mean, I was excited to watch this race. Yes. Because the first race at Michigan was friggin' awesome. And the first couple laps here were... Pretty well, same way. I think what it is, and we'll just go ahead and talk about it right now. The it had rained prior to the first Michigan race, and the track was still it didn't have any rubber on it. It wasn't greasy, and the temperature was not that high. This race, the temperature is about a hundred degrees. It's sunny, and the track's greasy. I think that was the the biggest difference. That could have been a lot of it, because I mean, it definitely separated everybody out. Yeah, big draft early, though. Uh, Richmond, Bodine, Elliott, Rusty Wallace, Parsons, Waltrip all right together. We have uh, Bodine getting by Richmond and those two. And uh, and Bill Elliott start pulling away from the rest of the pack. Three wide back behind them with Earnhardt getting by Rusty Wallace and Benny Parsons and moves up to fifth from his 12th starting spot. Then up front, we've got Tim Richmond trying to get back by Bodine. Can't make it. And then Elliott gets by Richmond. Uh, commercial break. Back from that, we've got Bodine about a second ahead of Elliott and Richmond. There is some pretty good racing here early in the race from 6th to 12th. Richard Petty up to 13th um, by Morgan Shepard and to the back of Joe Rutman. Petty kind of started, I don't know, he's like in the 20s somewhere, I think which was strange for him, but he had moved up quite a bit. And uh, they have an interview here here with Joe Rutman, and he said that they know that they need to perform better, but they've went through several engine issues through the year. And uh, Jerry Punch points out right here, it's not fair that Rutman may be ousted when most of it's not been his fault. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, you got to give these reporters credit for go cutting right to the quick. I mean, yeah, I mean, they now, go straight to the matter. There's no pussyfooting around. Yeah, they tap dance around everything now because you can't offend anybody anymore. Exactly. But that, back then, they just said whatever they thought and, you know, deal with it. Yes. <laughs> Drive better, get better, do better. <laughs> How does it feel to suck? You yeah. don't suck that bad. You need more help. Yeah, Buddy Baker, you suck so bad, you got to be on top of the pit box. <laughs> you had to get a go-kart driver to come in here. Oh, my God. But th they didn't, they didn't, yeah, they didn't hold back. They just said what they thought, which is refreshing because they don't do that anymore. Ever. Hardly. <laughs> Every once in a while, if maybe if if Clint Boyer retires next year and gets to the booth for the year or so, he'll make it in there before they fire him because he says something they don't like. It'll be entertaining. I would watch it just for Boyer. Yeah. 
Um, pit stop shuffle uh, after a mandatory caution to check tires. And they come in the pits and they, uh, we forget every, every time they come into the pits, pretty much during the, like when we're watching these races, I'm like, holy crap. Yes. <laughs> they're going to kill somebody. And He's not going to stop. He's not yeah. going. And then I still can't get over. They're coming in wide open and the guy is holding the sign to show him where to stop. Yeah. It's not one of those long signs with the board. No. They're standing there with the sign in the pit box. Yeah. As if they have the force or something. Halt. Yeah. But we know if they don't stop in the pit box, hell, they can pit it wherever they want to. Well, apparently, yeah, you know, don't matter. Get out here in the grass, pit it. Yeah. It's okay. You're not penalized. As long as your air hose can reach, go for it. So uh, the order after these pit stops, Earnhardt now in the lead with Gant, Wallace, Richmond, and Elliott behind him. Buddy Baker to the garage here early, so Jack Roo, maybe you're right. <laughs> yeah. Buddy Baker can't drive a car. I don't know. Well, he was no, just going back to the pit box. Yeah, yeah. He's like, where's Al Lutzer? <laughs> yeah, bring him back in here. I think he was in Pocono probably that day because we know that's where Bob Jenkins. We, we find out that's why Bob Jenkins is not oh, announcing yeah. the race. Uh, back to green, Kyle Petty jumps in front of the three, trying to get his lap back, and then Earnhardt by him pretty quick. Richmond gets by the 27, the 9, and the 33 and gets up to second. The top five are right together in a draft. Buddy Baker interviewed, says he broke a ratchet, and he is out. Richmond inside of Earnhardt, but he can't make the pass. And then Elliott by Richmond on the outside. Richmond fights back. They run side by side. Richmond right here washed up almost into Elliott, but he backed off. This was the point of the race that could have changed the entire outlook of the race because Richmond almost wiped out Elliott. Yes, and if he had done that, we might have had something more exciting to talk about. Yeah, we might have had a good race if that would have happened. Now Elliott outside of Earnhardt for the lead, they make they hit each other really hard right there. And they both, they both about crashed, but somehow they both saved it. And uh, that pulls the rest of the pack up too. They had kind of those maybe two seconds ahead at that point when this happens, and then like all of a sudden the whole pack's right back with them. And now three wide for third, and we get er uh, Elliot back by Earnhardt, two by two by two behind them. And yet right here, if you want to watch this race, go watch this ten lap stretch right here. Yes, that's pretty much right what before you need we to get the IndyCar coverage from Pocono. Yeah, when they when they cut to the go-karts we're over with. Yeah, uh, they go they go to Pocono and that's where Bob Jenkins is and I mean first lap they had a big crash out of turn 2. Johnny Parsons has wrecked as has Dennis Firestone. Yeah, this is the part of the program where I thought I was having maybe a mild stroke, didn't really <laughs> know what happened because I'm watching a NASCAR race and the next thing you know, Andy Car wrecks and I'm like, whoa. And Bob Jenkins is announcing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is awesome, but at the same time, where'd they come from? Uh, lap 40, we're back to the cup race. Elliot, Earnhardt, Richmond, and Gant, and Bobby Allison, the top five. Bill Elliott's about two seconds out front. The uh, 22-5 and 27 are all kind of right together. A quote from Jerry Punch, Kel Yarborough is not a ballerina. I want a shirt yes. that says Kel Yarborough is not a ballerina. We, we need to make we need money a off of this. Yeah, we need a t-shirt that says Kel Yarborough is not a ballerina. And then they have on the back have like the graphic of him and the Allisons fighting with the helmet. <laughs> uh, nobody would know what this meant. Except the people that listen to our show. Richard Petty has blistered a left rear, and he's the only one with tire problems. Of course, Richard Petty would have a problem. Um, 
we get the 28th of Yarborough and Allison racing hard for 8th. And we see Bodine and Earnhardt racing together for 2nd and 3rd. 61 laps into the race to commercial, and Bill Elliott is basically in a different zip code. Yes, he had a rocket strapped to that one. All his brothers were there, so united they made the Power Ranger thing, and away it went. And here, um, the leaders are pitting because uh, we've got a caution for the 10 car who has blown up. Did you see Rusty yes. Wallace? Holy God. If anybody would have been on, I don't know what car it was because he went by it so fast. If anybody would have been on the right-hand side of that car changing tires, he'd have took them with him. Yeah, because Wallace tries to beat Earnhardt out of the pits, and he goes inside of Earnhardt, which was kind of in between Earnhardt and the cars that were pitting. Yes. Because there was really not a space for a car there, but he put it there anyway. He, he made a space. Yeah, and I would say, yeah, if there was anybody that would have still been on the right side of a car, they wouldn't have been there anymore. No, no, they'd have been going on a joyriding. Yeah, they'd have been on top of Wallace's hood. Um, that was crazy and dangerous. Back to green, we've got Earnhardt and Wallace out front. Harry Gant, then Benny Parsons and Bodine are the next in line. Wallace gets by Earnhardt out of turn one. And a lap later, the 27 gets sideways in one. And the three gets beside him. And they almost crash, him and Earnhardt. That brings Bill Elliott inside of both of them. And he gets back to the front. Elliott and Bodine and the 20 get get by Wallace and then Bodine gets by Earnhardt for the lead. And then I said, just go ahead and call it this. The, the night you can tell, sometimes you can just tell like Bill Elliott is the master of Michigan. And at this point, there's nobody going to be him. Yeah. When, when they go to the pit stop and they can actually, they're, they're actually take, I swear. I believe they had an ice cream cone in between because they knew his car was so good. It didn't take him, Two, three laps to get back up front. Yeah, it didn't take him two laps to get back to the lead from fifth or sixth or wherever he was at. Uh, three wide for fifth. There is close racing behind Bill Elliott. Bodine gets uh, to third. Bonnet trying to get by the 27. We have uh, Kel Yarbrough and Benny Parsons right there. There's eight cars in a race for fourth place. So the race isn't totally awful or anything. It's just the racing is not for the lead at all. It's, it's for like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Yeah, the, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of them things. It was after the first showing, it was kind of a letdown. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, after the first Michigan race was so good, this one does let down. Richmond drives to the bottom again um, as he's trying to get to get by a, the pack of cars. He almost crashes Benny Parsons. There is really good racing. He gets back to the bottom, uh, and then Wallace almost loses it and almost crashes, as does Morgan Shepard. They both slid way up the track, and both of them almost crashed. So they are all over the place. And then they go to commercial and come back, and Morgan Shepard has now crashed out of the race. He had tried to get by Wallace on the inside. He lost control, and he tank slapped it. That's pretty big, pretty big shot. Yeah, you. I mean, you can't blame them. They were trying. They just, you know... One of them things, sometimes the guy's got the lucky number. Back to the IndyCar coverage, Mario Andretti is leading after 35 laps. Back to the green flag in the NASCAR race, it's Earnhardt out front of Joe Rutman, Neil Bonnet, and Bill Elliott. David Simcoe has blown an engine. The Elliott by Bonnet for third, real fast, by the 26 for second. Bonnet 
start smoking a bit right here. David Pearson running in the top 10. I think this, this is his only second start of the year, I think. Yeah, in the second or third, second like third start of the year. Bonnet drops back now with more and more smoke. We've got Elliott to the back bumper of Earnhardt, and uh, he, he gets by him pretty easy, but crossing under the three, Dale Earnhardt pulls the famous cross under, tries to get back by the nine. That drags the third to fifth place cars to the front, and uh, that would be Joe Rutman, Bobby Hillen, and Benny Parsons. What a, the top five? Look at this top five. You got Earnhardt and Elliott, and then you've got Rutman, Hillen, and Benny Parsons. And anytime you have Hillen in there, there's a chance for a good wreck. <laughs> there's always a chance for something. We've got Earnhardt and Elliott trying to get back away a couple of laps later, and then Elliott gets back under Earnhardt for the lead. They stay side by side for about a lap, but then uh, when Elliott cleared him, you know that that's it. He's gone again. Bye-bye. Nail Bonnet to the garage, 102 laps down. We've got Elliot Earnhardt, Rutman, Benny Parsons, and Bobby Hillen. Dick Bergren says that Rusty Wallace is having some issues. He's been in contact with uh, several different cars, as evidenced by all the <laughs> colors on his tires. Rusty Wallace was hitting everything. Yes, he had four different sets, and each one had a different color. And the last one, he's like, that might have been the wall. Now, that one was the wall. After a commercial, we see that the nine car has a five-second lead over Earnhardt. And uh, now we get to hear, in clip number two here, what makes Tim Richmond tick? Do you think maybe that all of that success that you had right from day one gave you the opportunity to look at the sport differently than some of your peers that maybe had to suffer through some lean years? Uh, when I very first started racing, I w wanted to do things to be recognized outside of my driving in a race car on a racetrack, you know. I mean, little things, you know, and I, believe me, I didn't go to college. This was just common sense that I felt, well, what can I do to be a little bit different that if they can't remember me on the racetrack for whatever reason, they might re remember me for off the racetrack. Uh, so I came up, I tried to come up with a theme, not color-wise, but style-wise, and I always had the one red sleeve, uh, and, and the rest of it was a different color, or at least one sleeve different. And that was my way of, you know, before maybe I got all the accolades on the racetrack, I was trying to get some off the racetrack. So, you know, I was just trying to create some attention uh, before I was, before I created it with this thing right here. Probably one of the more memorable occasions before you came to Winston Cup Racing was in 1980 when you rode to Victory Lane with Johnny Rutherford. Did you think about that when you did it, or was it just a spur-of-the-moment thing? You know, it, it's amazing how many people in that situation, Rutherford and I going to Victory Lane together, how many people thought that was a planned, you know, premeditated situation there. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I ran out of fuel. Believe me, if I... I would have not tried to run out of fuel because uh, I would have finished probably fifth, I guess, instead of ninth. But then I was talking to the crowd, you know, waving and stuff and having a good time, and, and JR drove behind me, and I didn't even see him. And I was looking at the crowd, and they were going, you know, like they were going, look over here. And I looked to my left, and there was Rutherford. And, you know, he, I could just see his hand in there motioning me, come on, come on. And I ran up to the car, and, you know, those things were pretty fragile at the time, the side pods. and. He said, I said, right here, and he said, yeah, get on. So I got on, and, you know, I knew he'd won the thing, and he said, where'd you finish? And I said, I don't know. Uh, and I, it was kind of like a joke. I said, where'd you finish at? 
I said, you did win it, didn't you? And he said, yeah. And so then I held his hand up. And, uh, you know, I was a little embarrassed of being of holding the number one sign up because I was doing it for him. So I held the number one up and pointed to his helmet. And, you know, it's not bad to go to Victory Lane uh, either in a car or on a car in Indianapolis. And yet your trips to Victory Lane and Winston Cup racing have, have, have really been incredible, especially this year. Uh, it looks as if finally there's a new maturity to Tim Richmond, not only behind the wheel, but also with the public. It's like Tim Richmond has gone to phase two of his career. Well, I agree. You know, there there's phases for everybody's lives. You know, what happens this year is the phase prior to what happens the next year, the following year. And, you know, and I had the hair and the long, long hair and the beard last year and things. You know? But this phase isn't, you know, I'm, I'm doing some interviews here and I'm, things like that, but things are not that much different. If you were forced to choose solely between fame and fortune, which would Tim Richmond take? <laughs> Absolutely fortune. Much rather go for the fortune than the fame. That's tough. To listen to. Yeah. Moving on to the next phase of your career growing up. And he wanted, he was more about the money than the fame. And now everybody, I mean, it's the fame that's the legend of Tim Richmond. Yeah, of what could have been, should have been. I mean, I was thinking about this while I was watching that. Ten years later, the medicine and the medical community and all that, he could have still been racing. Yeah, ten you years. Know, you know, just, I mean, Magic Johnson, is the he's the prototype. Yeah. Everybody thinks Magic Tim Richmond was really the first. Then it was Magic Johnson. Yeah, and you know Magic, you figure what ninety one, ninety two, somewhere in the early nineties, we'll say. I'm, ninety two. I, don't follow, I think it was around ninety two. You know, sometime around the Dream Team thing. You know, they that's when he found out about all his stuff, and he's still alive and kicking today. And yeah, you know that's you're just talking a few years. That's that's the sad part. Yeah, I mean he could have been. He would have been a champion. I, I really think he'd have wanted to. Everybody said that he was too inconsistent. I'm like, it don't matter how damn inconsistent you are if you can win 12 races. Just what? But he wasn't really inconsistent no, in 86. Look, he didn't at, ever have the equipment. Look at what we had this year. I mean, the first, what, four races totally sucked for him. Yeah. And then after that, he's been on a tire. And he can, I mean, he, he always, I mean, he had the skills and now he's finally getting the equipment. He's got the crew chief that believes in him. He's got the owner that believes in him. It, I mean, he was, he was set. And this is coming from one of the biggest Earnhardt fans. If he races 10 more years, Earnhardt doesn't have seven championships. Sorry. I, I just don't see it happening. No, I mean, I mean, Elliot may not have had another one. Rusty Wallace might not have had his. Uh, Richmond would have won somewhere in there, one or two, I think. At, at least. There's no way you can have that much, that level of talent and be that good on so many different tracks, different styles of tracks, and not win a championship. No. But that was a good interview with him. And then there again, he points to his he points he to his point foot. To the foot. He did point to the foot this time. But that could have been them. Rich Rick Hendrick saying, uh, "Point to your foot, boy." <laughs> yeah, make sure you bring the foot up into camera range so they can see. Yeah, that you're foot. pointing to your foot because yes. Folgers does not go to. <laughs> that'll be a weird yes. marketing campaign for Folgers. Yes. The best part of waking up is well, you know, <laughs> down there, your your foot. Yeah, is your foot stirring the cup? 
Uh, okay. So we've got Tim Richmond interview. Then we come back, we see that they're making green flag pit stops out of commercial break. They're just, they're all strung out. They interview Joe Rutman, who somehow is somewhere in here has fallen out of the race with a blown motor. Surprise. Yeah. Joe, Joe says I'm capable of doing it, but they keep having problems that are keeping them down. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go all in on burying the team, but at this point, I think he knew he wasn't going to be back, so he wasn't really going to hold back a whole lot either. Yeah, why, if they ain't giving you what you need, why not just bury them if they're going to try and bury you too? I mean, come on. Then we talk to Alan Kowicki. No, we don't. They talk about Alan Kowicki and say to watch him in the years to come, that he's got a lot of talent. And then Jack Aroot says maybe he is the Bill Elliott of the future. <laughs> I mean, God dang. Yeah. You talk about a rare... I mean, this is Alan Kowicki in his rookie year in 86, not really impressing anybody. I mean, in general. Yeah, I mean, I think he impressed a lot of the insiders for the simple fact he had one... Was it one car and two And he was doing engines. it all himself, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, they were, they were doing like you would do if you was racing the dirt track down here at Bulls Gap. They're rebuilding the engines in between races, and they've got two engines that are floating back and forth. That's that's unheard of even even then. I mean, it, it, that was awesome. And then six years later, Kowicki beats Bill Elliott in the race <laughs> at Atlanta to win the title. It, yeah, what more can you say? I mean, that's... Uh, uh, Jack Aroot, really. Coming, he, he needed some uh, lottery numbers, and then he wouldn't have to announce no more. Benny Parsons comes into the pits from second for an early stop. They think that he had an equalized tire. 154 laps in and to commercial. Back for more green flag racing, strung out, and if a race ever needed a caution, it was definitely this one. And I swear, as soon as I top that, <laughs> I'm topping that, and Kyle Petty has crashed. Oh. I'm like, oh, sorry about that. God bless you, mullet boy. It was, um, he, there was also the Jim Hull car and the 17 has wrecked with him. Tim Richmond into the pits and the crew members jump in the car with him. Obviously channeling the monkey Jocko Flock. I, I, I really thought he was going for the ride. <laughs> Seriously though, I wonder if, we, if anybody can find a clip of one of them that have actually took off with the guy still in the car. I mean, even if it was just 10 feet, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I mean, it happened. It almost happened so much. Um, Bill Elliott into the pits. He changes four tires also. And now we have a little segue to where they ask drivers what would they have been if they weren't NASCAR drivers. We like to ask a question of the week. We like to ask all the drivers what they think about a certain subject. And Dick Bergeron asked a pretty unique one. Question of the week. If Dale Earnhardt wasn't a professional race car driver, what would you do for a living? Who knows? <laughs> you, you know, you really, really don't know. I've uh, probably probably want to be a lawyer or something, make some make some money. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Uh, there are a few things uh, I like flying an awful lot. I really enjoy fishing. You know, I could be a fishing guide, or I could just be a storyteller. I, I was born and raised on a farm, so I guess I'd been a farmer. Not a fullback for the Redskins? <laughs> well, not for long, I don't think. <laughs> Well, I feel like uh, my father ran a Ford dealership there in Dahlonega. I wouldn't mind pursuing that. Uh, we had a building supply business. You know, any kind of business like that, I didn't mind working in. It, it's a lot of hard work, but still yet, you know, it's all I've ever known is a lot of hard work. So the rumor about you being a professional golfer is not true? Absolutely not. 
Well, I used to have to work for a living. I used to be a pipe fitter. I worked out of the Pipe Fitters Union in Birmingham, and I hate to think about it, but I'd probably still be hanging off the side of those 20-story buildings putting up pipe. Well, I started probably still be in the house building business. I enjoyed that an awful lot, and I think I was probably still be in that same business. Well, it'd be tough to say whatever the other career. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like to be a car owner, and I'd have control of my own destiny. Well, Dad, don't panic, but uh, I think I'd have been a Pepsi man. I worked for my father at Pepsi-Cola, and, and uh, I guess he probably heard this and, and is happy that I'm a race car driver. I don't know. Uh, I like music, and I've, I've got into music, and it's come out of, out of the racing part way. And, uh, you know, but uh, there's no telling what I would do. I might be building houses or uh, be a TV commentator like you. I'll just tell you right there when Michael Waltrip said, Dad, don't panic. I thought we was about to have a, a breaking news story in the 80s. <laughs> yes. One, one of the boys found religion and the other one found something else. <laughs> the, other, the other one found Steve. Yeah. But you got to remember, this is why in the 80s, so many people of working class origins loved NASCAR. Because listen to all of them. They all started out oh, yeah. working menial jobs. And not to take nothing away from the drivers today, because it's a different area, but most of them, they have raced their entire life. From the time they're teenagers, that's the only occupation they've ever known. These guys had real jobs while they raced and worked up the ranks, because, you know, like I say, it's a different time, but that's why it was so popular to the everyman. Now, what do you think about Dale Earnhardt being a lawyer? I mean, that came out of left field. <laughs> well, he was the intimidator. I can see that now, Judge be up there. Uh, you're out of order. No, sir, you're out of order. And when we get to the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're out of order, and I'm about to whip your ass. It's on. Okay, so since they didn't get to all the drivers, Andy. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Here we go. What would uh, these guys have been if they were not a race car driver? Tim Richmond. Porn star. Pimp. <laughs> Daryl yeah. Waltrip. Oh, preacher. Preacher. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bodine. Jeff Bodine, oh, good Lord, he would have been like a motivational speaker because nothing oh got him down. God, and he was the most upbeat person ever. What Buddy Baker have been? Oh, good Lord. Buddy Baker reminds me of one of them farm hands that nobody messes with because they're afraid he'd break his back, break it, their back. It could have been Hillbilly Jim's tag team partner in the WWE. bouncer, yeah. Bow something he, along that. Buddy Baker would have been a guy that you could have, if he'd have, you put him on the, the, the juice yes. in the 70s, Buddy Baker would have been a big old boy. He oh, was a big Lord. old boy anyway. Yeah, he, he he was one of them country strong looking people, you know, one that you know not to mess with. Uh, Rusty Wallace. Rusty Wallace, ooh, Lord, uh, he'd probably been shot in a bar. <laughs> yeah, shot in a bar. Ricky Rudd, he would have been laying on the floor <laughs> crying in the bar. R Ricky Rudd needed to move to Alaska. I mean, yeah, let's yeah. face it. Let's he, see, yeah, Ricky Rudd is a guy that would have done, he would have been a ski instructor. <laughs> yes, he needed to be somewhere in the mountains somewhere. I mean, cold weather. Morgan Shepard. Morgan Shepherd, oh good lord, raccoon herder. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, if you can, uh, there's actually a legitimate business for that. Uh, he would have been a, he'd have made moonshine or been a, he'd, he'd have yeah. had something to do with animals. He'd been training Taxidermy. raccoon dogs, yeah, something. Dave Marcus. Uh, well, he was more of a gigolo, I guess. Yeah, I guess he was the gigolo, and, and Tim Richmond was the porn star. Okay, so 170 laps into the race, they're under caution, trying to clean up around the wall. Tim Richmond's crew has been informed about a situation. Oh, Harry Hyde 
is about to whip a man's ass. <laughs> we don't. This is this is the one time I need this ABC announcer to come back. Yes, because he had jumped right in the middle of it and figured out what was going on. Yeah, so what we needed somebody. If if nothing, if not him, then we needed Mike Joy or somebody to get in there and shove the microphone between them because. I've never seen Harry Hyde get that animated at a race this year so far. No, and we we don't ever find out what happened, do we? Yeah, uh, Richmond, I, I, I had to go back and watch because I was trying to figure out why he was so Did mad. they put him in the back or something? They, well, they didn't put him in the back. They put him at in front of it's one of them pit road Oh, things the tail again. end of the lead lap. They put him at the tail end of the lead lap right in front of Bill Elliott. And I'm like... Uh, oh, yeah, but he gets it. Yeah, we get... I, you I know, the caution comes out later yeah. on, but, you know, it's that's why it. he's so mad. He's like, no, wait a minute. There's only like 14 cars on the lead lap, and you're putting us uh, almost a lap down to the guy that's got a rocket. So the video here is a little grainy, Andy, but I'm. This is almost like one of those the, when we had the channels in the nineties, you could turn it a certain <laughs> way. I'm pretty sure I saw a titty in the infield. I'm just gonna say that. Well, you know, it, it was, was, it was a different time. Yes. Um, here we go back to Green, the 25 uh, in the front of the field, but he is on the tail end of the lead lap. 15 laps to go. Benny Parsons, God almighty. He's running so good all race. Hard into the wall. The caution's out. Richmond was able to hold off Elliott and gets to come all the way around. And you can see in the replay, Parsons let an engine go because he started smoking, then he spun out and slammed into the wall. Yeah, I don't know if he missed a shift or what, but it, it went instant. Something happened. They uh, are going to restart the race. Six laps to go, and there's four cars on the lead lap. Elliott, Waltrip, Bodine, and Richmond. So in the restart, I said something happens to Bodine, but they I think they actually said he didn't have second or third gear or yeah, something. He, all he had was high gear. All he had was. was, yeah, so it took him a while to get wound up. We have Earnhardt gets between Elliott and Waltrip, and Richmond gets by a lot of the lap cars. Then he gets by Rusty Wallace and to the back of Waltrip. Elliott and Earnhardt are pulling away. We get Richmond inside of Waltrip down the back stretch with five laps to go. Bill Elliott is gone. <laughs> yeah, this is where he got done a play in. I mean, you, you, like you said earlier, sometimes you can just tell when somebody can toy with the field, and he was done playing. Yeah. We have uh, Wal Waltrip and Richmond races hard for second, two laps to go. They're side by side. Waltrip holds him off. Then Richmond does the cross under, and he passes Waltrip down the back stretch. And then on the last lap, Walter trying to get back to Richmond in turn three almost crashes. And uh, it didn't really matter. He knew that it was third or fourth, one way or the other. Bill Elliott wins. Then Richmond finishes second. Bodine and um, Dale Earnhardt will round out the top five. So this race, we will go to victory lane and then the recap colleague, Dr. Dick Bergeron, who's with the winner of the Champion Sparkplug 400, Bill Elliott. Dick? And Bill, congratulations on another Michigan win. I'll tell you why the car ran perfect all day long. I couldn't ask for no better. A lot of people were having trouble with suspensions, tires, and other such things. You didn't have any problems at all? You know, I was happy with this thing yesterday afternoon. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the way the car ran all day long. At the end of the race, it looked like it might turn into a dogfight between you, Waltrip, and a few other people. Were you watching in the mirror while they raced and you took off? Yeah, I did. I think, you know, got them to race, and plus I saved my best set of tires for the end. 
Good day for you. No doubt about it. The course, Mel and Thunderbird kept right on going. What is it about Michigan that puts you in this victory lane a record number of times, Bill? I have no idea, but it's right. <laughs> One happy Bill Elliott down here in victory lane with his wife, Martha, getting a big kiss. Very well deserved. A good run for Bill Elliott this afternoon at Michigan. Boy, that is an understatement. Bill Elliott has won his fourth consecutive race here at Michigan International Speedway. We'll be back to give you the final order of finish after these messages. So there, so there we go, Bill Elliott. Boy, I've heard of side drafting, but did you see him side draft that kiss? Yeah, I mean, that poor woman. She she tried to tried to get his wife. <laughs> yeah. He, he was like, oh. I mean, this was almost like the side chick was standing on the other side. <laughs> yeah. He was more worried about her seeing the wife kiss uh, him. Yeah, not in front of the boys. Not in front of the boys. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was one of the boys. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm that sorry. was awful. That was uncalled for. Yeah. You know, as ugly as we are, we can make fun. Uh, and you didn't hear what we said off there. Yeah. Um, this is the uh, pasteurized version. 23 lead changes, five cautions. We just come up with this off the sperm of the moment. 23 lead changes, five cautions for 38 laps, four cars on the lead lap. So, uh, less said about this race, the better. Yeah. Points. We're going to, we're down to the last 10 races of the year. Uh, the point standings, Earnhardt is still out front. Daryl Waltrip minus 141. Richmond minus 155. Bobby Allison minus 365. I mean, it's a three-car race here already unless, you know, anybody else gets on a tear. You'd really have to get on a tear to catch those three. And you're not, all three of them are not going to have problems. No. So you know it's a three-car race. No. Uh, no. Ricky Redden, fifth, minus 371. Bill Elliott, minus 378. Rusty Wallace in seventh, Jeff Bodine eight, Kyle Petty in ninth, and Andy as much as we crack on him. Bobby Hillen Jr. was tenth in the points. Yeah, he he was racing good. It just he seemed like of, he was always involved in the wreck somewhere, whether causing it or a part of it. But yeah, so uh, we have that. Um, any final thoughts for Michigan? Uh, I'm glad we're going to Bristol. Me too. So if you. Uh, this show find us uh, join our facebook group i mean i know that a lot of people listen to us through soundcloud and google play because i can see the statistics we we get a lot of listeners come to our facebook group racing through time we will add you just don't act too stupid i mean you can say pretty much we don't really care you can say most anything yeah. unless we, it gets us in trouble with the facebook gods so yeah yeah it, it's got you got to go pretty bad to outreach our standards i mean yeah ask our buddy justin yeah, <laughs> he thought that yeah. he was bad until he met us <laughs> yes it's that's like people think i'm crazy till they meet my family yes yes and and i say that with all the love in my heart yes because my family was the same way yes uh email our show if you want to email us racing through time project at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter i post every once in a while at OPR Word. Oh, before we go, what Andy, what do you think about NASCAR? This isn't a modern show, but this is the end of the show, so why the hell not? What do you think? Do you think that they're going to go back racing next month? Uh, May? They, who knows? If they let Vince McMahon run it, maybe uh, it'd be kind of weird to see them without fans. But Well, they already have no fans. Well, that's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. You know, hey, it might not be that big of a difference. Just Actually, let, I mean, just I, I, honestly... If any sports can get away with no fans, I think NASCAR is really about the best one that could get away without no fans really impacting the way you watch it. Yeah, you know, it's one, on of, TV. Those, it's one of those, especially, 
I think Formula One could probably get better by well, with it better just for the fact that they're more of a road course and it's spread out anyway, and you don't really see a lot of the fans except for the finish line. But racing is the one sport that could actually do it if they wanted to. Now, whether they can recoup their money doing it that way, golf I don't can, know. Golf can do it too. But well, but golf is one of those sports, like when you get hot, you feel the crowd. Yeah. You can hear it, you feel it, you hear a, somebody six holes over, hits a bird, or makes a hole in one, you hear it. Yeah. You know, golf, you hear it, uh, football, football. You, you I hear can't, it. As much as I love college football, I can't imagine them not I, playing with fans in the stands. It just won't be right. I've watched wrestling with no fans, and I'm like, ain't none of the rest of these going to work. If I mean, you, you can't do it without the fans, because whether you believe it or not, when you're playing a sport, you feel the fans whether they're cheering you or jeering you, you you go off of that emotion, and without it, it just ain't going to be right. No. So anyway, yeah, um, I think they'll try to come back next month and see what happens. There's a tentative schedule out there, so we'll see. I mean, yeah. they're talking about Darlington, uh, two races at Charlotte, and then Bristol. That's, that's not a bad start. <laughs> no, I mean, and that goes back to who knows. Maybe in a month or so they can go with like they normally do and have half the seats full. Maybe. We'll see. Hopefully. I mean, everybody's tired of being at home. I know that. So um, we will be doing the Bristol race next week. We will do the qualifying show as part of the race for a very, very specific reason that Andy is not aware of yet. No, because like I said, I do not watch these ahead of time. And my memory, Ricky's the statistician. He has a memory like a steel trap. I can't remember none of this stuff because I was six and I didn't go back and look at it. So this is all new to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't remember it much better than you. Just some bits and pieces, but but like as as we go through the races, I don't remember any of these interviews or what happened during a race or whatever. I might know. I know who won the point standings. I might know who won certain races, but that's really it. And the part that I love about watching this is looking back and catching the inside jokes. Now that you're older and oh, you yeah. know what they mean, Tim that, Richmond. Yeah, pointing down and. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And Harry Hyde is right. about to lose his yeah, lunch. Yeah, when you, you know. go back and watch the end of the Watkins Glen race, when Richmond says that, and look at the face that Harry Hyde and Rick Hendrick both make, because I'm pretty sure they knew that he wasn't talking about his right foot. Yeah, he may have been pointing there, but you can't see his hand on camera. All you see is his hand moving downward. And yeah, yeah. And uh, and the sensors were like on the button <laughs> yes. at ESPN going, oh, crap. <laughs> He's going to say wiener. He's going to say wiener. He's going to say wiener, and that's how we're going to end the show. (laughs) So for Andy Waddell, Ricky Wittenberg, another Racing Through Time in the books.